Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, and the title of today's show is Don't Ask Me for a Title Again. You Know My Reasons. That's supplied by Scott on Twitter. Welcome to the Brazilian Grand Prix Race Review. I'm joining you from a temporary setup in the north of Spain, so apologies if there's any difference with the audio or the video. As I'm sure you can imagine, my wife was delighted that I took all the podcasting equipment with us on our travels and even more delighted that I'm starting a live stream at half past 10 at night with children sleeping next door. So I can't be loud, annoying and obnoxious this week, but I can be a bit quieter, annoying and obnoxious. So let's get to it. I think we're going to have to ask a lot of questions about a very action-packed sprint weekend in Brazil. So we'll ask... Does this weekend make or break the case against or for sprint weekends? Does this seal Russell's place at the top of Formula One? We'll ask, could Hamilton have actually won this race? And where on earth did the Red Bulls go? And I think the key question is, how come team orders have stopped working? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined from Brooklyn, New York, by Matt Two Rumpets. Hey, Matt. Whole season, two crashes, one brake fire, a red flag, but here we are. Mercedes won a race. Oh, that did actually happen. Yeah, pinch me. So it did. We're joined by engineer Kyle Edgy Powers. Hey, Kyle. Hey, mighty King George the Fast. Hey, you've given him a title already. And from Denmark, we're joined by broadcaster and superstar DJ 
Christian Patterson. Hey, Christian. Good evening. I'm going to quote uh, Carlos Sainz, who said, it's been a great weekend for Formula One. And if I may add to all you sprint haters, and I'm looking at some of the people on the Zoom call here, <laughs> how about it? Uh, well, I mean, we could start with that as a topic. I, I did want to start with reasons Kyle is wrong about Interlagos in general. Uh, but I guess, does this make the case for the sprint weekend? What we've always said is that the sprint weekends have kind of either undone the mixed up grid from qualifying or they've stolen a little bit from the Sunday. And I'm not a fan of sprint weekends. Uh, so Christian, you can kind of, I guess, gloat for a second because one swallow does not a summer make, but this was a complete sprint weekend package that was entertaining from Friday through to Sunday. I think it was a lovely weekend and I think the sprint uh, race worked for once, but we also have to remember that when we're at the end of the season, things like this always happens when someone's won the championship and someone turns things down and others turns it up. And Brazil is just a track that delivers racing like that. So Maybe it was a bit more track and season time specific than the actual racing, but I did thoroughly enjoy that race. That was good racing all along. Kyle? Yeah, I've been pretty outspoken uh, about my views of the sprint races, and I do kind of stand by a lot of what I have said. I, I still, it still challenges me as like a bit of an F1 purist as to how it fits. And if you can't apply it to every race, don't apply it to any of them. That being said, as Christian said, um, all of the stars aligned and everything worked. It clicked. So the first sort of practice session was the only one they could change the setup. So that had some relevance. The qualifying here, yeah, well, that was pretty dramatic. And thanks to the weather, I may add, <laughs> made that good. And then we had a mixed up sprint race. And that was the first sprint race. That, that was the sixth sprint weekend, I believe. So that's the first one that's really delivered all the way across the board. And, you know, I'm all about you know, continuous improvement. And I, I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong, am I feeling yeah. wrong about the sprint concept? I don't think so. Did this one deliver? Absolutely. Just a bit wary. It could be a false dawn because I did think all of the stars aligned for it to it deliver, did. but I ain't, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to sit here. I was enthralled and glued to the TV throughout most of the weekend. So in that sense, uh, this is the first one that's landed well with me. I was torn yesterday because obviously the sprint race was exciting to watch and was a, a good quality bit of action with lots of people racing and lots of excitement. So I was torn between going, well, I hope the race is also going to be good because Interlagos does tend to deliver, but also wanting to be right about sprint weekends being rubbish. So I was a little bit on the fence. Matt? Well, you'll be happy to know that having, what is this, the sixth chance to have an exciting sprint weekend versus how many qualifyings have we seen that were not necessarily the most exciting, that they're going to potentially be changing it next year and making the sprint race solely for points and having nothing at all to do with the setup of the grid on Sunday. But isn't that just running the race one and a half times? One and a third. One and a third. All right. Okay. That. <laughs> I think that upsets me. <laughs> yeah, so that that makes it even more challenging for me. Like as it is, you know, after watching that weekend, and you can say, okay, then they're not going away. Either make all of them sprint weekends and keep it the same format throughout, uh, regardless yes. of the track, or don't do them at all. The fact that we're going to maybe have some of them and then they're not going to count to set the weeks that takes away one of the one of the one of the major attractions for the sprint races for me is as as a staunch sort of stern critic of it is it does make every bit of the weekend count. And each bit of the weekend has a knock-on effect apart from FP2, has a knock-on effect to the other part. Having it standalone just points and doesn't sort out the Sunday thing kind of 
counteracts that a little bit. But then also, I don't like the fact that it can mess the Sunday up as well if somebody has something unlucky in the sprint. So I'm challenged on all fronts by it, but there's no denying that was that was an awesome weekend of racing we just got. It was. You may also add that a sprint is basically, as we talked about, a third of the original race. So if the original race is at a track like Imola, for instance, where you can't overtake, the sprint is just going to be boring. So I think you have to plan these sprints at tracks where you have a certain degree of certainty of, of good racing or at least some action so you can swap places in the qualification and stuff like that. When you have a possibility to throw balls in the air like that, I think it's good for the racing. But uh, I, I, see, I see the problems as well, of course. Well, the interesting thing is the argument being made as to why comes from, uh, I believe it was Verstappen who was quoted in the press, but basically saying that drivers aren't really willing to take a lot of risks <laughs> because they don't want to mess up their Sunday starting position. And if you take that away, then you'll have a much greater scrap <laughs> on the Saturday, which I have to point out will still be for points that affect both mm. the drivers and the constructors championship. So yeah, I think Carl's Carl's point was the stars did align, and and I'm glad as an F1 fan because I'm I'm not willing things to go wrong. But I just you know I don't want a couple of good sprint, sprint weekends in a row and them to go yeah it was always a brilliant idea when it's not something I want. But consistency across a weekend would let me have something to get used to. But like for example, this weekend I'm away with my family, so I didn't want to be watching F1 all weekend and not spending time with them. I nearly chose the Friday qualifying over the saturday sprint race to watch live which would have been a horrible mistake so it's a horrible choice to have to make but yeah the qualifying was done in those in that traditional kind of drying track with a little bit of rain throughout the session it was just perfect it was that opportunity for for tactics opportunism skill and opportunity for ferrari to be the only drivers out on intermediates on a completely bone track <laughs> on on the shortest grid of the year uh, so you know they got a chance to to ferrari and while i remember it you know on the sprint weekend on the sprint race red bull were the only ties out on the, the guys out on the mediums i think and, and that didn't work and so ferrari looked at that and said hey we're the ones who are meant to be on the wrong opposite tire so that inspired them on sunday to just you know throw on the mediums as well uh, but yeah look it, it's a it's a great weekend and i think if you are going to have these sprint weekend formats you have to choose carefully the track that it's going to be on and interlagos is probably my third favorite track behind silverstone and and montreal for for different reasons but the sprint tracker at interlagos is perfect kyle but i know you hate interlagos and so i just wanted to go through why you're wrong to hate Interlagos, it is like a top tier F1 track. Context, context. <laughs> What's going <laughs> on, not... Kyle? <laughs> context. I need to defend myself. I've already been getting stick in the Slack <laughs> live stream about this before I even said. Uh, no, I don't hate Interlagos. I love watching Formula One at Interlagos. It's one of my most looked forward to Grand Prix every single year. I hate Interlagos in the sim when I'm having to drive and race in Interlagos. I don't like it. <laughs> I can't get on with the place. Yeah, turn one's, as you say, like turn one's really tricky. The final turn, there's no references. And it's one of those corners where you go through and you never think that you've got it right. It's such an unusual corner and you always exit it thinking I've never got the line right. So personally, I don't like driving it in the sim, but I love watching Formula One there. So please don't get me wrong. And yeah, what a what a race it served up for us today. Someone said um, online somewhere that DRS was too powerful here and that was a mistake. Uh, I'm not sure it is that. To me, it seemed like 
they can follow a lot better. So the I think the evidence of that is not only did they get a good run down to turn one, but if they didn't make it, they really this year they really did get a good run down to turn four. And even it looked like I don't think I saw any passes into that first right hander, but it it was it was threatening. So we were we were kind of getting there, and I think that shows a lot of the time that you know you can adapt the regulations and the cars around the historic tracks as well. Uh, but if you remember last season. Only Hamilton with the super spicy engine really could get the overtakes done out of the final corner. I'm um, sorry, quick one from Christian then, Kyle. Uh, if the DRS doesn't work or if it's uh, magnifying uh, overtaking possibilities, it's when you can do it on lab one. In Interlagos, you had to do three laps trying and then you can yes. get it to work maybe only in the second DRS zone. So I, th- I think it works brilliantly here. Yeah, and for the actual racing, the track layout... Um, really really does help and 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 is sort of conducive to to good racing because the term you go into turn one you've got a big drs zone up to it you can have a massive lunge on the brakes for turn one but then if you get ahead you're compromised and then on the exit of turn three there's another drs zone and i don't know where the detection point is it might be in the middle of turn one for the drs zone going down to turn Uh. four so a lot of people will choose not to take the move into turn one to then try to take the move into turn four and the center rest and the nature of the switchbacks you can see people positioning the cars and getting them out of position a bit like what Hamilton did with um, Verstappen last year. And we saw quite a lot this year as well with people making somebody go defensive and essentially defend clear air into turn one, which compromises them because they're trying to set the move up for turn four. So we can see this high speed game of chess play out and this circuit is beautiful to display that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'll have a good time here. And and I think uh, maybe, you know, they can look at uh, being a bit more adaptable with DRS. I would love to have seen what would happen if... DRS cut out as soon as you were level, you know, wheel to wheel, side by side level. Um, it just closed. I don't know the the mechanics of that, but if you could take away the DRS advantage once they were level, we would have had some really amazing battles into turn one, turn two, all the way down to to turn four. But as it was, it, it was pretty good. I'm not complaining, but I think we need to to move on to the big uh, ticket item, and uh, that is George Russell winning his first Grand Prix. So it's time to discuss where the race was won and lost. Well, you could argue that he won his first race yesterday, could you? Because it's you a could. sprint qualifying. Matt, it's a squint, sprint qualifying. Now, I think this is right, that the, the sprint race is technically a practice session, therefore not a race win. I think qualifying is technically a practice exactly, session. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure the sprint race is, is technically a practice <laughs> session because they're already in park for May. When they get there, I don't know. It's all... <laughs> You know, they've done this thing, and honestly, I just can't keep up. I okay. give up. Somebody I'm, knows I'm, the answer, you know where to email. Uh, I'm happy it, to it, say it didn't count yesterday. It didn't count on Saturday. But, no. I mean, in John, George Russell's uh, Wikipedia, does it say two race wins or one race exactly. win? Exactly. I think it's going to be one race win. And, look, before we put it in context of uh, of how he measures up against Lewis Hamilton or, or what that shows for that partnership – I just think, you know, in context on its own, Matt, from his journey through Williams, waiting, getting that uh, substitute role, uh, uh, one race. How many races was Lewis out with COVID? Just the one. Just the one. Just the one and then nearly winning that, but, you know, unskillfully letting his tyre deflate. 
stupid George Russell in that race. Um, but, you know, that's kind of over now. It's all in the past. He's a Mercedes driver. He's, he's a Grand Prix winner. This, doesn't, this isn't a fluke. This is the culmination of a, a journey. It is. And if we're going to talk about his journey on the weekend, I think there's no better place to start than the third qualifying session. Hang on, hang where, on. <laughs> well, <laughs> which third qualifying? So Q3. Q3. Yeah, Q3. Q3. Okay. Third qualifying session right. when it's all on the line and everybody is out there, including Leclerc for some reason on enters. <laughs> so this sets him up to be at the front of the field for the entire rest of the weekend. Well, because Leclerc yeah. held up, I think, Verstappen and Hamilton, or was um, or no, it was Perez and Hamilton got held up badly by Leclerc on the really slow enter tires. And then Russell, I know, off the track, thinks he's going to be clever, does a spin turn and buries his rear wheels in the gravel, brings out a red flag. Here comes the rain. And that's it. Kevin Magnuson wins. <laughs> he's like, what, third? <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, um, it was definitely Perez held up in qualifying by Leclerc. I'm not sure Lewis was. And this is one of my points of maybe where George, I think, got himself into a winning position because he seemed from the start of qualifying just to have the slight sort of edge on pace, particularly on the first lap. So I think he was getting the energy into the tyres and firing it up, whereas Lewis seemed to really, really struggle. We saw it particularly when it was wet. Lewis basically was had back up against the wall right to the final sort of few seconds of qualifying and managed to get himself out so george actually got on there got on with it and nailed the first lap and just seemed to have slight pace advantage to lewis and it was and it's the first time we've kind of really seen seen that and i i picked up on that yesterday so and it wasn't surprising to see him hold on to it today okay so first opportunity to write uh brit bias lewis fanboy uh cry more in the youtube comments coming up from me here but a slight mitigation to that is hamilton often builds to the Q3 runs and, and it's been a criticism of mine. He seems to go all out in both runs. You know, some people get a banker lap in and some people, and then, and then go for it with the second lap. I don't think Hamilton ever does that, which means that he quite often, this has happened quite often in his career. He makes a mistake on the first Q3 run. And so it doesn't quite land. And then something bad happens like Rosberg accidentally on purpose going down, you know, the escape road at Monaco causing a yellow flag. I think Bottas, on probably the most blatant one. Uh, I can't remember what track it was, but he was in pole position and he had a little like really harmless off that stopped everybody else setting a lap. And we know drivers do this accidentally on purpose. Um, not suggesting that Russell did this on purpose, but if you deny everybody else an opportunity to set a lap, it's got to be, Matt, it's got to be that that has a, re- uh, you know, that demotes you. But Here comes the IndyCar rule back into effect, where if you do something like that, you lose your fastest lap. You don't lose all your laps for the session, but you lose your fastest one. And we've had this argument before, and apparently we're going to have it again. I personally kind of like the rule because it increases the risk for people willing to put it all the way out there. You can't just go, oh, yeah, I'm ahead now. And it's and it's the last thirty seconds of qualifying. I'm just going to drive stupid, and if I yeah. manage not to crash, I'll be even faster. Cool. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's weird. What they do in speedway is like if you bring out the flags or stop the race or quarter race flag, you're then disqualified. Like you're from out that session. You're yeah. out of it. Yeah, yeah, from that session. So that's kind of fair enough. Now, George, was it intentional? <laughs> no, I think he's had his teenage 
boy in an over in a Tesco car park moment, tried to do a donut <laughs> and tried to spin it and just stuffed it and end up wearing an omelette because of it. Um, but yeah, should we regulate against this? Because actually, if you look into a bit deeper, if you look back at some previous incidents, which looked fairly innocent. I mean, everyone pulls up the Schumacher one and the Rosberg ones at Monaco yeah. for the big ones. But actually, if we saw Alonso did this in Baku, quite blatantly earlier on this year um allegedly allegedly, allegedly 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 uh, we also might be perez, talking, perez at monaco uh, we, yeah we may be talking about that later. we will <laughs> alleged maybe <laughs> um yeah uh so perez has sort of done it and i think there's probably been a couple of others so as matt says it increases the risk and increases the iffiness um yeah i don't know how they regulate against this um because as matt rightly says that's it you've got your banker in and your bank is good you just go absolutely <laughs> full bananas and just go for it. If it ends up in the wall, it ends up in the wall. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't think you should penalise them. I think you should let it stay as it is. I think if you have a sport where there's this much at stake and you have the possibility to have your co-driver drive into the wall just after you pitted in Singapore, or I mean, these things happen. They are the tools of Formula One teams. And if you give them the possibility, I think they will use it and they will use it every time they can, drivers individually as well. And uh, I think it's better to not give them that opportunity. I totally understand it's it's purer without, but it's easier for everyone if it's not a possibility. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, let's move on to, to George Russell uh, winning in the actual race because he performed well in the sprint race. And I think in my mind, I really do treat this as one big race that gets kind of a random red flag in the middle. But over those two races, I think he did pretty well. Like, forget what happened to Lewis, forget what happened to Max. He can't control any of that. Uh, he just, he went, I was looking at his lap times. They were solid all the way out through the race. He's, he managed it all well. All the calls seemed to be, you know, correct from the team and, and him. So I think if you go Saturday onwards, did he put a wheel wrong? I don't know if he put a wheel wrong. I still don't know if all things being equal, if 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 it had been the two Mercedes without the collision, if we might have seen a mm. different thing. And we'll talk about that later. But I do want to bring up right now the other really big thing that came out of the sprint race, which is we had Max on the medium tire, which I think was Red Bull trying to be very clever with their tire strategy so they'd have two new softs for today's race. But I think it worked really against them because he, in the cooler track temperatures, he couldn't turn the car in. Mm. He had the kind of understeer that my mom's station wagon had when I was a teenager learning to drive. It was spectacular. And he wound up, was it fourth, I believe? Um, yes. And only because Signs had his penalty did he wind up, um, did he wind up promoted. But it put him in a position where he couldn't command the race from the start. Yeah, and that was hard to that was hard to predict. I mean, I think the last time I was on the podcast, I praised Red Bull and just said they just don't seem to get the strategy wrong at all. Now, on paper, I think they, in theory, did the right thing. But this is the, such a rare event where actually, yeah, as Matt says, it went against him. So when you can't turn the car in and you're struggling with understeer, you tend to put a bit more steering lock on and the tires are slide. The sliding is causing graining and will just cause you more and more tire wear. So we're in the weird sort of um, the strange scenario where the harder tires wore quicker than the softer tires. And it just seemed like the only real viable race tire was that soft tire. So that was crazy for the, and that, and that was a massive shock as well for the sprint. So this just goes in with the stars aligning to make the sprint weekend really think was really exciting because nobody could have really 
predicted that and it's so rare for red bull to make a slight strategy error because i still don't think it was an error just they just nobody foresaw the, the medium being quite that bad no but i will say if there's ever a track you don't want to have understeer i think brazil would pretty much be it yep that's why i don't like it in the sim because i can't <laughs> deal with understeer very well <laughs> well that's it isn't it that's it um it, it does um it does encourage you to to throw it into the corners and and be very aggressive which is why hamilton seems to go well there and i think uh, i will disagree with you slightly kyle when you were saying that that russell had the measure on pace of hamilton looking at the lap times and the way the tire stints went out i, th- I still think on on edge on on, on balance and and maybe if you want to account for some floor damage on top of that with Hamilton, it did feel like he had the lap time through the first stint. It did feel like uh, he was able to make the tyres last longer. There was a big deficit to to bring up. And obviously there was less incentive for Russell, Russell to push. But it, it just it does feel like, yeah, you know, on balance, Russell was good enough to beat Hamilton over a weekend. But you could still see it wasn't like it was a, a romping, runaway, dominant drive within the team. Yeah, yeah I... I- I get that. And um, why I kind of say where I think he actually, um, where he actually made, made the difference and he actually like outperformed Hamilton this weekend was particularly the safety car restarts and the instant, well, particularly the last one, he put an instant gap into Hamilton held on. And, you know, everyone knows that Hamilton was full wang. He was giving it everything and he was really desperate to win in front of his adopted sort of home crowd. And he really, really, really wanted to win. And George managed to keep it cool keep him in that DRS. And he had the measure of Lewis in the middle sector, yeah. which is all about hustling the car and getting it through. And he seemed so comfortable. And I think it was Ted Kravitz or Karun mentioned in the, on Sky that he was super calm on the radio. He had it under control and he pulled a nice, nice gap on, on Lewis. And, and that was surprising because I thought Lewis was going to be absolutely monstering yeah. him. And another point in this, his, his tires were actually two laps older than Lewis's. They'd done more previously before they'd put them on. So, because apparently they, Karun had gone in and, and said that George's had done 15 laps and Lewis's had done 13 laps in, in oh, practice. Oh, they were old. They, oh, I see. They were yeah. both used sets when they put them on, but George's had slightly more wear on them. So yeah. that was really impressive in itself. Uh, yeah, you definitely can't, you can't take away the fact that after the safety car, Russell was able to control that. And we, and we don't know what it would have been like had Hamilton not had that collision. And that collision with Verstappen kind of robbed us of the, the direct comparison that we've been lacking because we have seen Lewis Hamilton destroy uh, Bottas, Kovalainen, uh, Rosberg for 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 many of the, the of the the three four year period they had together, but we've not really seen Matt Russell and Hamilton fighting toe to toe post porpoising. Yes, we haven't. And if we're going to give points to George Russell. Well, how about that first safety car restart, which absolutely caused the Verstappen-Hamilton collision to be a real thing? Christian? I'm just going to add a little bit to the Hamilton-Russell uh, thing before we get into the the incident after the restart. So I monitored the, the laps, the, the last six laps of the race with Hamilton or Russell. Uh, and take into account that uh, Hamilton did drive a car uh, behind someone within a second with a little bit of damage. But still, during those six laps, they were constantly uh, sector one, three hundreds, Russell was up. Sector two, Hamilton down 110. Sector three, Hamilton up 110. And that was six laps constantly, all within like a tenth. 
So they just basically did the same lap uh, yeah. for the last six lap uh, lap times for the last six laps, and I don't think there was any racing, real racing, going on. Or they both went full on. Okay, Christian, do you think that? I, know, I think we don't really have enough evidence for this yet, but could Ros- uh, Russell be the closest teammate that Hamilton has had on on race pace? Because on qualifying pace, he's had loads of, of challenges from teammates, but when it's come to, to full race pace, he's been not really challenged. 100%. I think, uh, I think it's going to be one of his hardest uh, teammates, um, not taking Alonso into account in, mm. in those years, but... Uh, uh, I think they're going to be good mates, but he is so constant and he was, did the same in the Williams and he's so, just look at him when he won the sprint. It was, he felt like crying, but he was like, I want to wait till tomorrow. I want to wait for the win tomorrow <laughs> or something like that. He was totally devastated today. This guy really means it. And I, I think he's, uh, he's as fast as Lewis Hamilton, but I think still Hamilton maybe have the edge on. Just experience, team, oh, all that stuff. But at some point, experience turns into being old. As as exactly. many people on this panel know. Not you and me, Kyle. The other, the other two. Too young. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to disagree. No, you are old. <laughs> oh, I think Rosberg is still the closest match to Hamilton on race pace. And I, I still haven't, over the course of a season, seen Russell's ability to care for tires in the same way as Hamilton's. And I will point to simply their medium tire stents. Oh, yeah. Hamilton where, was much faster. Yeah. Where Lewis was clearly faster than Russell throughout that whole stent. Christine. That's also why I'm saying he, he was once, when you're the car behind, you're not as fast. But, but still, uh, I think Russell is up there. While I'll argue that Rosberg is no Russell, is Rosberg had four years of practice and he, he bet his life to win that title. <laughs> and he had some luck as well. Uh, some. I, 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 yeah, he did. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think Russell is uh, more constant uh, uh, by nature uh, in his racing. And uh, that's, well, it's just my opinion, basically, because I don't know him, man. And he takes his shirt off and, you know, stuff like that. Rosberg didn't do that. That's true. Yeah, so that's a point for Russell, I suppose. Uh, but we do get to play a game. It's not who looks best with their shirt off, because I don't want to play that game after a week and a half of holiday. Uh, but we will play this game. Whose fault is it? As we've alluded to, and of course has come up in our live chat, uh, the, the the contact between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen into turn two, uh, in through that, the Senna S, and uh, Verstappen made contact uh, with Hamilton, Hamilton on the outside. So it was a, a tough battle, as Matt alluded to, that was kind of caused by Russell's start. And it was a good restart from Russell. If he'd have pinned it from the last corner... I think he would have got swallowed up, and that seems to be the way uh, at Interlagos. So he's waited right until the finish line, which has left Hamilton vulnerable. Hamilton's gone into turn one, held a narrow line. Max Verstappen keeps some extra speed, kind of wall of death around the outside of turn one. In my opinion, seems to have have kept his foot in, gone for a a very aggressive move. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has defended very hard into turn one, and we need to bring out, I think, a... Uh, 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 what's that clicker? The wheel clicker thing to try and measure out the whether there was cars widths or which part of the curb constitutes being left room. And I think, as Matt always says, uh, you want to be left room 
on a part of the track that you would want to be left room. So we can't leave you room on a muddy bog, uh, but you could leave you them room on a curb. And I think uh, that, that Hamilton definitely took that to the edge of the interpretation of what constituted leaving room. But when I asked my panel whose fault it is, where do we go first? Christian Pedersen, whose fault was that incident? Um, I'm going to say it... It was 100% Max Verstappen's fault. 100%. That's quite that. high. That's quite yeah. a high percentage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he puts himself in a position where others have to leave him room. And I don't think that is racing. I know Brad will have my bag on this one. <laughs> uh, and I think the race stewards for once uh, put down a, a statement here saying, this is not how we race. And he should have had the exact same penalty last year. And I think it's good for racing that we are not allowing this kind of racing, because uh, you could, I just seen a, a still pick in, in our Slack chat here with where you see how close uh, the racing line is going into the corner. And you can't really judge anything from a picture like that. It's, it's all about the entire situation. Verstappen puts himself in a situation just like Monza last year. He should have had a penalty for that as well. Uh, and I okay. can keep on going. So, I think it was the right thing that happened. Today. So then I'll counter that because I think the obvious counter there is why didn't Lewis Hamilton just leave much more room on on that apex to help avoid the contact are you asking me yeah 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 uh, uh, i when when you go into when you go as hot as he did into that corner into corner one uh, for stappen uh, he's gonna have a little bit of understeer and he's on the outside so his traction down the hill is going to be worse than hamilton's and hamilton is already turned in yeah. for his a next apex so when verstappen comes in and disturbs his corner there he's in a completely different driving line and if hamilton should have given him room he should have backed off and driven away from the apex which no driver will ever do so verstappen knows this and he knows that that is how you get them by just shoulders out but it shouldn't be allowed and obviously now it's not uh, Kyle, yeah, the steward. Oh, that, that, that's the point, Kyle. Is the stewards? I uh, was quite, I was quite surprised actually. The stewards applied a five-second penalty uh, to Verstappen, and this is very much in line with the new way the rules are being interpreted. Which I, I love. I love the fact that we kind of get to play the referee now. So if if <laughs> we didn't have that stewards' decision, I could look at the rules they've laid out and go, that's probably a penalty for Verstappen. And you can do that with the outside leaving room thing as well. But but where do you stand? Christian says a hundred percent on Max Verstappen, what do you bid? Um, I agree with some of what Christian said, maybe not all of it. Um, and which, which Thank you, Kyle, for the things you agree with. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I usually agree with everything Christian says. <laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, no, uh, look, as a racing driver, when you're in a race, one of the most important things that you need to do or you need to take into account is self-preservation, is to keep your car intact and not get involved in crashes now. Could Lewis have left more room? Yes. Uh, would I have left more room in Lewis's situation? Absolutely. He, as you said, he pushed it right up to the limit of what you could and couldn't leave. And especially considering his opponent, and we can see there's still been a little bit of needle between them in, in their comments after the race, which I thought was a little bit of a shame. They both took a little bit of a pot shot at each other, to be expected. But What was Hamilton's um, pot shot? Hamilton's pot shot was, was like, well, you know what you get when you're racing Max, which is bait. Basically, like he's gonna do what Christian explained was 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 Max is coming through, or we're both having a crash, so you need to give room, and that's what he kind of inferred to, and sort of referred to and said. Uh, Max said, "I thought we could race well together," and he didn't give me room. Now they both have a point 
in my eyes. So um, was I thought the five-second penalty was not harsh. I was surprised they gave a penalty at all. It's lap one. I what? thought that was okay, a racing in- incident. A what? A what? And I thought it was a racing incident. What? It's lap one. They give that away on lap one. <laughs> that, <laughs> Look, there must be something with the connection. It there. wasn't lap one. It was uh, after a safety <laughs> oh, car sorry. restart. Sorry, not lap one, but it's after mm. on a restart where they generally give a bit of leeway. And Lewis could have given a bit of room. Now, why I think Max got the penalty and why, when you look at it in this context with the new rules, ironically, which were brought in because <laughs> of, you could argue, Max's driving in some of these and, and this racing last season. No, ironically, no, no. We've specifically, got specifically because of Max's driving last season. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we're brought in and it's gone against him. And this is because I think the stewards took into account his angle. Yes. His trajectory. That's going what Kyle in, was, also, uh, Christian was saying, yeah. The speed that Max went in there at, and the fact that they both ended up completely off the track. Now, if Lewis had given him room, I'm pretty sure they both would have run off track. You know, so Max was not backing off it. And Max would fully expected Lewis to jump out of the way. Max was maybe just about going to keep the car on track and Lewis would have been forced yeah, off the track. So I'm pretty sure that would have happened. And this is why Lewis didn't. Lewis thought Max was going to back out. They both, I truly believe they both went in there knowing there was going to be contact. They both <laughs> yeah, knew exactly maybe, there was going maybe. to be contact and they both drove the same and uh, they kind of both wanted to make a point to each other. So I was really surprised the stewards did actually penalise it. But but so so I, I'm definitely not weighting it as, as 50-50 as neutral as that because I think your key point there, Carl, was it was the speed that Verstappen took in. So he, like the ward of mm. death and, and Christian's got a great point about the, the angle and there's a term in, in football saying, you know, kicking it into row Z and and if you put another, which means when you loft it really high over the, the goal and you say, well, actually, if there was another goal on top of that goal, he still would have missed. It still would have gone into row Z. And I, and I feel like that's the case here. If Hamilton had left another car's whip, I think Verstappen was still hitting him. There was a big overspeed. And, and if you look at the, the replay frame by frame, you can see the point where Lewis is slowing to take the corner and Verstappen just, just doesn't. So for me, Matt, this is very clearly... A, a two-footed lunge. He's got a yellow card. I, I think it's it's played out exactly how it was supposed to. He got more damage than than Hamilton, so it's kind of self-policing in a way as well. Well, if we want to talk about it, to I, me, there's a moment when you're playing poker and you've gone all in, and your opponent's gone all in. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes. You turn over the cards. One of you wins. <laughs> one of you loses. I like this. Max lost today. Yeah. So if you're asking me from pure racing. Like, get rid of the rules for a second. If you're racing today, yeah, they brought it on themselves. Each one made their bet, mm. and they waited till the seventh card was turned over, and they put all their money on it. Max lost. Well, I so think I it- see it as entirely 50-50. <laughs> Lewis, took, Lewis took a line that demanded Max slow way down. Max took a line that demanded Lewis back entirely out. And is it a surprise that they met in the middle? <laughs> no, not I, really. I, I, however. Go on. Yeah. However. We all know exactly what the rules of the road are, thanks to the FIA. And in, and in that sense, it's 100% on Max. Lewis was yeah. ahead. Lewis left room on track. And Max clearly barged into him under that frame of reference. So in, in that sense, I do have to put it on Max. But in real racing terms, oh, yeah, they knew it was coming. And they were just they were there for that. This is what they've been waiting for all season long. Let's hit each other some more. Mark says in our patron live chat, uh, any other combination of drivers get through that corner without incident, except maybe Verstappen and Ocon. I love your poker analogy. I think it's a little bit more like Max went all in with, with a, a slight bluff 
and he was relying on Lewis folding, uh, and Lewis didn't fold. Kyle? And this is why I was sort of surprised Lewis sort of went into that position knowing full well, because, you know, as soon as I saw Lewis squeezing him like that, I just, in that split second, I was like, he's out of the race. Like, you know, he's absolutely out of the race. He, and I think he knew full well, which is why I mentioned the self-preservation thing. He knew Max wasn't going to back off and he was going to try and barge through, which is why in with, with these two now, it's almost like they're, it's almost, not, not one-upmanship, but they're trying to make the point, you know, Lewis got out of the way a lot last year and then, didn't at Silverstone and we all know sort of what happened and then Monza happened. And I think now it's, they're both going to refuse to yield to one another. Now, 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 now Lewis has stepped up to refusing to yield to Max. <sighs> Max is not going to change his way. And it's kind of this, almost this untenable okay. situation now between these two. Quick question. So I'm just still surprised that Lewis yeah. did not okay, this give is him the... a wide berth and just preserve his position. There. This is the question though. Are you, are you really saying right now, Hamilton should have like completely just steered out of, of where he was going and just run wide and, and all but let him through. Because cause, cause Verstappen's angle, if, I mean, if, if Hamilton had even slowed down or, or gone wider, he's probably hitting like the rear tyres and spinning him out. I think if he'd have left room, they would have been contact and he would have been shoved off the road. Then yeah. he would, probably yeah. would have moaned and Verstappen should have, should, should have got a bang to write penalty, but he didn't. And in the end, it's kind of worked out in his favour because yeah. it, it eliminated Verstappen yeah. from, from the race. But, you know... I think Lewis is trying to stand up to these situations that, that Verstappen's pushing him in of I am coming through or we're crashing. But in this case, mm. Verstappen had almost got the move done around the outside. He was around the outside. And I think if I think if both of them had given a little bit of an inch, if Lewis would have given a little bit more room and Max would have backed off a tiny I don't, bit I don't slower, agree. I don't they agree. would have got through there unharmed. I but just don't because agree. Because it's them two. <laughs> It, they were never going to come out. Car, of their I just gate. don't agree. You could have given another car's width, and and Verstappen yes, was still hitting but, him. But so. it, but but it works with Lewis giving a bit of a risk, and Verstappen not going in full wang. You know, you know, I think Verstappen coming off thing. it and giving a bit. Okay. So it, if if they both gave a bit, it would have worked. Can I just follow the the poker analogy? Analogy: uh, If someone goes all in all the time, every time, <laughs> then you're gonna maybe at first fold. But eventually, you will crack the style and you will hit back with an all-in before him, before him, at the same time. And that is how racing works as well. And as you, we can see, Louis no longer folds, and I don't think he should. Uh, but I think um, hats off to the stewards there for enforcing those rules. And I think also, you know, hats off to, to those rules in the first place being implemented. I hope this is the beginning of more laid-down rules that can be interpreted in a more consistent way. Red Bull, who have been wildly consistent this year, have been all-powerful, have been dominant, possibly the most dominant car, one of the most dominant driver-car combinations in, in recent F1 history, certainly. And the titles are all wrapped up. Max Verstappen is world champion, and, and Red Bull have won the constructors. So, where did... The form go map. Where did Red Bull disappear to, and why was everyone so tetchy? Well, you raised two different uh, <laughs> questions there. Where did their form go to? Yeah. Well, I mean, one Friday practice, uh, different weather, and uh, tire strategy based on optimizing Sunday explains some of it. But I mean, you know, surely Perez was nowhere near Russell's pace today. And he wound up on completely the wrong tire at the end of the race, unlike Max. So I think, I think honestly, uh, I think some of it was they were just caught out by things beyond their control. But I do wonder 
I do wonder if they're not testing things for 23 already, if they're not looking at some of the changes for next year, making themselves a bit slower and and getting some free testing time in during these last <laughs> races. Because if I was them and I was looking at an additional reduction of my testing time, well, that's exactly what I'd be doing. I think because they've realized that they've messed up the 2022 budget as well as the 21 one, they can no longer <laughs> afford enough petrol for the race and they're 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 all on half loads kyle they're running lean yeah they're running lean <laughs> um yeah there was um this is another sort of point with the sprint weekend and why they are quite odd because they have one hour to try to set the car up and with that is a little bit of a roll of the dice gamble an informed gamble of which direction to take the car in and Ma- uh, max kind of alluded to this saying you know you can go several ways we chose the wrong way with the setup so they might have gone down the alley and then you can't correct it you can't do anything apart from just the electronic controls that are available to you with with changing the diff on the mid and the entry and the exit. And that's about it. You can't really do much else apart from playing with the diff and, and the front wing. So I think they've just, I think for once, Red Bull dropped the ball slightly on the setup and didn't get it right. But And that's hard. And that's, that's one of the slight problems with this sprint format is you might have the best car, but then if you choose the wrong way on setup in the one hour session or if something goes happen or, or something happens or it rains just you're screwed essentially yeah well and i think i think it really does come down to that sprint race i don't think they expected the medium tire to be that bad but the track temperatures were really cool i mean it was 50 today on the track it was 35 yesterday on the track and i think that that put them in a bad spot and then the collision with Hamilton just kicked them to the back with the extra pit stop and it was done. But if you look at Max's progress when he put that soft tire on, the new soft tire that he specifically saved for it, because they were going to go soft, medium, soft today. There was no doubt about it. If you look at his progress on that new soft tire that only he had two of, it was clear they had today's strategy absolutely correct. And I think, I think had he started at the sharp end and controlled the race, it might have been difficult for Mercedes to have actually won it. I think the uh, the you've won the championship does a lot of things internally in a, a team as well. I think it's maybe a month ago they stopped developing and was full on next year's car. And I just think that vibe, you feel that in the team, there's really nothing to win anymore. So I think that affects everyone as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, but that gets us on to, can we gossip? Can we gossip like school children? Do we have your permission? Because it did get very spicy and aggy, as we say in my part of the world. It got super aggy between Verstappen and, and Perez and all the race engineers. And obviously Perez was wanting on the sprint weekend to have them swap position because he, he needs points for to finish as high as he can in the championship. But it didn't quite make sense on the sprint weekend because that actually determined starting position. So... Why would Perez, you know, why would Verstappen want to give up, you know, not just points, but also a starting position for Sunday's race? So that's okay. I get why they didn't swap there today. There didn't seem any reason to not just swap Perez and and Verstappen to give Perez a few more points. And, And they did want to do that. And they said to Verstappen, well, go and see if you can get points and take points off of uh, Perez's competitors because that's quite a you know a useful thing I think the maths works out the the lower down Perez uh, Leclerc is the the more chance that that Perez uh, will will close that points gap but at the end of the race there was no gap between Perez and Verstappen so they just out and out said please swap the positions please swap give Perez that position and Verstappen said no I won't I've got my reasons. And this is where the drama unfolds and we turn all gossipy um, because as the uh, the race uh, tweeted out, the, the transaction between the two of them was was really, really enlightening and, and in fact very, very surprising because we've seen Perez be the perfect teammate, the perfect number two, be very complimentary about the team, be an absolute 100% team player, never, ever holds up uh, Verstappen defends very, very hard. And by the way, defended really well this weekend as well. Defends very hard on Verstappen's behalf. But here's the exchange that uh, uh, at We Are The Race tweeted out. said, Perez radio message at the end of the race. Perez, uh, yeah, thank you for that, guys. Thank you. Horner comes on and says, I'm sorry about that, Checo. Race engineer will debrief everything afterwards. Perez publicly on the radio. Yeah, this shows who he really is. And I haven't seen any hint of this kind of butting heads at any point in the season between these two guys. But it seems like there is an ongoing beef about the Monaco Grand Prix where Perez crashed in qualifying, as we mentioned earlier, which stopped Verstappen getting a shot at pole position. And that Verstappen has been holding that grudge all the way until Interlagos, which he, he deems Monaco to have been on purpose and has held that grudge and his revenge is not swapping P5 for P6 to help Perez get P2 in the championship. I think, I think wow is the word, Kyle. Wow. Yes. Wow and why. Um, it's needless. It's quite unsavory, but it's absolutely needless, really. You've got the championships wrapped up. You've <laughs> dominated the year. Why now cause a controversy? Just it means nothing to you. I mean, you're not you're not going to be on the podium. Just move over and let your teammate through, regardless of the little personal gripe you have in the background. Now you're sitting in front of the press facing questions and it's dragged all of this up and you're washing your dirty laundry yeah. in public now, which people didn't even know there was soiled pants running around in like the um 
RB garage, but now apparently there is. And now this is all sort of blowing up. And yeah, so apparently as the rumours are going, apparently Perez straight up admitted to apparently, allegedly, this is some rumours <laughs> going around online on the Twitters, that allegedly Perez admitted that no. he did it on purpose. No! And this really? is why Verstappen's holding it against him. Oh my you God. Know, I'm crashing in Monaco qualifying, which again, again, even if that is the case, don't get revenge very, very publicly. This I is didn't like, know that he, bit. <laughs> he has taken like a leaf out of the Alonso book of sporting niceness. Wait, there. Well, so I didn't see this report that he has admitted it privately that he did mm. that on purpose. And okay, and as a Paris fan, I will say, yes, of course, it's, it's legitimate. All drivers <laughs> do that and not something that I earlier in the show said should be punished very, very harshly. Uh, but that is incredible. I'd never want to hear tinfoil hat again when I suggest that a driver has done something deliberate to manipulate a certain situation because we know, we know this stuff happens. Uh, Matt, then Christian. Well, this is right. This is on a level of Rosberg turning up to the Monaco press conference and talking about the illegal secret tire test they did with Pirelli in terms of revealing dirty team laundry. Number one. Number two, problematically, you know, if we had that red flag rule we were discussing earlier, this wouldn't be an issue at all. Now, would it? Because drivers wouldn't do that sort of thing because it would not pay off in the slightest. And number three, I'm actually now really concerned. I don't find the sourcing on this to be massively convincing. No, fair enough. Supposedly yes, someone heard a thing from yeah. somebody else, but they're a name that we recognize. So therefore, perhaps there is some truth to it. Okay, And, and the anger clearly from Verstappen kind of adds fuel to that fire as well. God, this is so gossip. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it, but the thing is, it is total gossip, but it is now very public total gossip and very public total gossip that I'm thinking is going to be hard for the FIA to ignore. Good point. That's a very good point, Christian. And who made it public? Red Bull team themselves. And who had driver, uh, rival uh, teammates publicly before Multi 21? Red Bull. Who am I always complaining about management-wise, Mr. Christian Horner? I, I, I mean, this is just this is basic management. You do not let your driver go rogue and run the team. The minute you do that, you don't run the team yourself. And yeah. he's—I mean, this has happened mutual numerous times in Red Bull. I know I'm a bit hard on Red Bull and Max Verstappen, but I mean, it's just. No, I, I imagine in my head that Verstappen, with the protection of the the people around him, with Josh Verstappen, with uh, PK and and whoever else is involved in his management, I, I imagine that he's untouchable at Red Bull. That's always the impression I've had. Like any other driver, you think, if you just mugged off your race engineer publicly, you need to do this, please swap the positions. No, I'm not going to because I've got my reasons and, and you know what they are. Any other driver, you get the hairdryer Alex Ferguson treatment, Christian. So, you know, I, I don't believe that will happen to Verstappen. I think he's bigger within Red Bull than, you know, Ocon, who, who might get more of a dressing down. Uh, so Christian then, Matt. What I, what I find most, uh, actually what I find worst about it is, I think it's a shame for Max Verstappen because just look at this year. He does. He hasn't really had a, a, a ceremony for his championship uh, He's, things are just not running the way they should for a world champion. 
This is not how we should perceive Max Verstappen. This is not the things we should see or hear. And that is bad management. All right. So I want to be really clear here. If we're going to talk about this, we need to be absolutely clear that it is not Max himself who said this out loud. He has, he's no, not no, no, said, but he this said the I have my reasons. He said the I have my reasons thing yeah. from the Telegraph, which is a Dutch publication, saying this based on something he'd heard from another okay. Dutch driver. Okay. So this is where this is coming from. So, whatever you want to say about Max, he did not say this out loud on the radio. This isn't like, for example, sure, bring sure. up Hamilton tweeting telemetry from Spa. <laughs> this isn't yeah. that. Nevertheless, it does kind of make you think of Vettel and Weber a bit and the multi-21 and all the other clashes they had in terms of where they are in their career. And yeah, I think, yeah, you're all right to mention that the multi-21 thing, which is, yeah, 2013 Malaysia. And also the comments that Vettel, no, no, it's Mark Weber made on the podium saying that Vettel will have protection from the team and that's normal while the team just stood there and winced and he said it very publicly and <laughs> there was no sort of disciplinary, nothing really happened. They had the meeting as Christian Horner said himself, Weber walked out wanting to headbutt Sebastian and Sebastian walked out saying that went really well. Um, and they kind of left it at that. And that was very sour. If you read Weber's book, he goes into that in quite a lot of detail. It's quite interesting. But so this is, this is almost challenging like that and saying, don't ask me again. I've already told you it was almost a direct challenge of leadership in that thing and very publicly and it was very very exactly. surprising and what and what are what is christine horn and rebel supposed to do now because they've been directly challenged and overruled by their driver are they going to sat to be seen to be spineless i think they'll probably just wash it under the carpet but tell max privately don't ever do anything like that again because you are not bigger than the team but it was a direct challenge of leadership mm. and really really surprising and it'll be interesting to hear what what the actual real rumors are in 10 years when the book comes out maybe about <laughs> okay. it so to, to end this i want to just uh, read out a comment from jose in our, our live chat who says i don't believe perez could have crashed on purpose but because there's no rule against it i could totally imagine him imagine him commenting to someone in private i knew i had nothing to lose if i crashed so i just pushed like crazy which goes back to the conversation we were having earlier uh, but we do have another whose fault is it to play Whose fault is it? <laughs> okay, everyone yelled at me in our WhatsApp group over this one because it is the Ricardo Magnussen incident. So first off, uh, I do want to kind of uh, tip my hat to Haas, who managed, I think, to be the first team ever to get P1 and last on the grid as well, making a Haas sandwich out of the rest of the grid, which is um, a really a great day for them. I think that is their first pole position and Magnussen's first pole position as well. So they really had their kind of day in the in the in the spotlight, and that should have been rewarded with a Sunday Grand Prix pole position start. And it's a shame that it wasn't. The result would have probably been much the same. Uh, but this incident where he it got punted from behind by Daniel Ricciardo, I think, first off, I, I would like Carl's perspective on this, because I think it's clear that, you know, Magnussen was waiting on the throttle a little bit to try and get a good run at the car in front. So you could argue that that's slightly unusual. Uh, but my understanding is in those situations, you know, it's always on the car behind. You have to, you can't anticipate someone pulling away from a slow corner. I think Luffield is notorious for this. But for you, that Ricciardo Magnussen punt, whose fault was it? Uh, it's 100% on 
Ricardo, he was kind of trying to say this in his interview afterwards, but not really saying it directly. He didn't really oh. <laughs> want to say it. it was completely his fault. Uh, it was a misjudgment. I think initially in the first split second of getting on the brakes, there was a gap. He wanted to go for the move. He immediately realized that wasn't going to work mm. and then backed out of it. He'd safely backed out of it. Yes. And then he come off of the brakes again. <sighs> didn't expect the concertina. So it was just that, a clumsy run into the back of Magnussen. That was it. A that, that was the heartbreaking thing was that he avoided the first crash. Yeah. And then fully yeah. accelerated into the crash that he just avoided. Yeah, indeed. And mm. there was zero blame on Magnussen. I don't even think he was cutting back the corner particularly much he had i can't remember who was in front of him i think it was a ferrari he had on his front left wheel there so he was just mindful of that and you can't be thinking about what the driver's doing directly behind you uh, a little bit of carlos science in turn one in cota he was trying a massive cutback and george sort of went into him this time i don't think even magazine was cutting back it's just clumsy and unfortunate mm. from ricardo but he it, it was self-policing wasn't it magazine's tried to damage limitation run back off the track and then completely totaled him isn't this the same corner where we saw hamilton take alban out N- no it's that not no, no, no. that was, was the one before so, but so we have seen this before at brazil though yeah very very brazil-esque crash uh yeah because there's lots of, of slow corners where you can have differing uh, approaches to to when you kind of attack or defend and 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 basically if you're very close into one corner it's going to foul you into the into the next corner so everyone especially on lap one is has their different opinions and i just want to say as uh, some people in the live chat maria is pointing out yes i am getting a bit whispery because i i can feel uh the the telling off i'm going to get as it's nearly midnight here and the children are going to sleep so apologies for that uh, who was trying to come in christian I was just going to say uh, congratulations to Magnussen because we haven't talked about this. I was actually going to say that's my first thing, but congratulations, Kevin, on the poll. And such a shame. It says so much about Formula One, the way you can go to, I mean, out of nowhere, just become the hero. And the next day, <laughs> it's gone. zero it's lab gone. one. Oh, I forgot and about your just Dane bias. Feeling. I'm sick of this Dane bias from Christian. Listen, uh, yeah. Kevin and his dad, Jan, they are some of the greatest racing drivers in history. Let's check out how his dad has been driving cars, and Kevin is oh, as uh, well. I'm not going to say they are Lewis Hamilton's or anything, but they are still among the greatest racing drivers. Are we caveating Jan Magnussen as post-F1 being a great driver? Yeah, but, I mean, just the way they go about racing, just the general approach they have, it's in their bones. It's so much in their bones, they can't help it. Can I just back Christian up there? Um, Jan Magnussen pre F1 was uh, one of was tipped to be the next big thing. He dominated the junior category exactly. and was the hottest thing. And when he jumped into that Stewart in 1997, unfortunately, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. I think he wasn't ready for Formula One and just couldn't get his head around it. So it's really nice to get Magnussen in. Yeah, there was uh, also a in. few things. I think he got caught smoking behind the trailer a couple of times. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jan. Oh, yeah, we're, into, um, we're into gossip again. So I think we're, we're fully... No, that, that, that's more than gossip, oh. I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, I've completely lost track of, of where we were. Oh, yes. The thing that you guys got a little bit um, angry about uh, was, because I, I tweeted, oh, look, uh, Kevin Magnussen, after get, getting punted, just accidentally, you know, rolled backwards and precisely hit the person who had punted him. Wasn't that convenient? Because I have been taught by people like you and and club racers and sim racers and carters that when you have a crash like that in the pack, what you should do is be as predictable as possible. And usually that is hold the brakes so that everyone can avoid you rather than you taking action. He let the brakes off. 
and you, the generous interpretation of that, Kyle, is that he wanted to get out of the way, but he just happened to revenge spear Ricardo. I think if he's managed to orchestrate that and build that up in his mind Skills and his me. virtual rearview mirror in his yeah. head and take that out quite precisely, <laughs> he is the greatest driver to ever sit in a vehicle ever. Like that is incredible in that moment. What he was doing, if he would have held his brakes. Now I'm one of the staunchest people on online saying, hold your brakes in sim racing because it's so annoying when people are flying across the track. Uh, I think this is fair enough in this occasion. He's in his broadside in the middle of the track on it. This is the real lap one, isn't it? Yeah. This is like lap one. I think yeah, it was yeah, lap so, one. Um, one. Yeah, yeah, broadside, and he's got backwards momentum. He can see all of the cars yeah. in front of him are going to go in front of him. He's let the brakes off to get himself out of the track. If he'd have held the brakes, he would have been broadside in the middle of the track. Just so happens that it's a bit unfortunate that Ricardo was the only one going behind him. I think that's coincidence. So I'm, um, I think we can give him a reprieve on this one because in that okay. situation, I think yes. I probably would have done exactly the same. It's like I need to get off the track. Quick. I, I love how confused you are about at what point in the race it was. It's like yes, this is part two, lap one. Uh, Sunday is, is how you have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Christian, then Matt. I think we need to talk about uh, Ricciardo and how he is feeling right now because I think oh, yeah. uh, Daniel Ricciardo is totally broken. You can just t- see it in his eyes. Uh, he, this might be his last Formula One race, next race coming up, and everyone's just going to remember what he's done the last half year, and that is such a shame because he's, he, I mean, he. Remember a year ago, Daniel Ricciardo, everyone was like, oh, Daniel's there. It's the positive, win-win. <laughs> now, one year later, he's, he's the one we're all going to wave goodbye to and no one's really going to remember anything significant. I think that's a big shame because uh, if he's given me a lot of Formula One uh, experiences and uh, a lot of good racing and a lot of good just Formula One vibe. Yeah, well, what we the only thing we really need to look at here uh, with regards to whether or not Magnussen was quote unquote and intentionally aiming for Ricardo is the fact that Magnussen's car was entirely undamaged and he was just trying to keep it that way. Yes. And it's unfortunate for him that, that Ricardo dodged right instead of dodging left, which is the only thing he couldn't have known when he looked up and saw the entire rest of the field flying at him on the racing line and realized his momentum was taking him exactly out of their way. Okay. If Ricardo would put the brakes on or gone the other way, we'd be having a different conversation right now. I know Kevin Magnussen didn't deliberately reverse his car into Daniel Ricardo. All I'm saying is, if he was trying to do a revenge (laughs) takeout of Ricardo, that is exactly (laughs) what it would look like. But now you've said it. Pot stir, pot stir. <laughs> All right, let's let you stir the pot. Um, let's stir the pot against Matt because there was another whose fault it was uh, in uh, the sprint race between the Alpine teammates where our friend Ocon ruthlessly did some imperceivable thing that I didn't notice wrong to Fernando Alonso. So Matt, two rumpets, completely unbiased. Whose fault was that incident? And take us through it. Uh, are we talking about the first or the second incident? Because we have two to get through. Oh, really. the the one the uh, where he the big one? On, run him out and uh, and basically Alonso smashed into him and broke his engine. Uh, so that would be coming around. I think the the final turn. Alonso is behind him after they've had a bit of contact earlier on the exit of turn four. Alcon, of course, having out qualified him and being also having been fastest in the second practice. It's weird not to call it third practice. But um, yeah, they started side by side. 
Ocon got the jump. They had some contact out of turn four. And then coming around, Alonso got a really good run on him. And for some reason that I cannot figure out yet, drove into the back of Ocon. Smashed his rear wing, destroyed Ocon's floor, put them both really entirely to the back of the race. And lest you think I'm being biased here, Fred admitted himself that it was a, quote, misjudgment once he had got to the actual steward's room where they had video and stuff like that. <laughs> but initially, like, he really politics all of this stuff. And it's not just a case of, oh, there was an incident and, and he didn't think he was to blame. He really has a kind of, and look, this is me liking Fernando Alonso. I think he's been great for the sport in, in racing terms. He lives and breathes it. He's passionate about it. He never wants to retire. So there's a lot to love about Fernando Alonso. But he he does something that a lot of politicians I don't like do, which is it's almost like a God complex. He can never be wrong. He can, it can never be his fault. And not only that, he then has to turn it around and, and, and blame the other person. Even though Ocon, think of poor Ocon. He didn't do anything wrong. Uh, he got hit. It ruined his sprint race. He then had to get a new power unit. And he had one of the most respected, experienced F1 drivers on the grid publicly dress him down, our friend. And so he had to be subjected to all of that. And I didn't hear a sorry out of any of that. And I I just, look, I'm going to say the word. I'm going to say the N-word. Fernando Alonso is a narcissist and he displays that narcissism very publicly. Uh, Kyle than Christian. Yeah, both of these incidents uh, actually got my back up a bit yesterday um, and particularly the radio messages. So, um, and some of the fan reaction that you see online as well. So, so first incident, in my opinion, it's not even an incident. I don't know why people are kind of getting funny about this. Alonso was behind. Ocon was on a tight line. He was trying to get up the inside. I think it was of Ricardo and two cars. They were like three wide, almost going down straight. And he didn't, and he's gone out. He probably didn't know Fernando was there. Fernando's tried to go around the outside and put himself into a disappearing wedge. Now, we were talking about these new engagement rules earlier with the Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton incident. Well, in this case, um, Fernando was behind and wasn't, and by the letter of the rules, um, was not in any way entitled to any space. If you take the wording of the rules and then he's lost it on the curb and then he's freaked out at Ocon. The second incident, he's uh, driven into the back of Ocon and oh, broken his wing and then made some absolutely, yeah. quite frankly, ridiculous radio comments. And he knows their broadcast. He knows what he's doing. And for somebody who makes himself out as a strong, fighty warrior, the press game and the narrative he spins, he doesn't have to let himself get bullied a lot by nasty people in the team. And is, uh, well, this and is the other thing. A lot. Yeah, you're always the victim. I mean, that perfectly yeah. is in line with the kind of thing I was talking about. And it um, doesn't yeah. add up. It doesn't add up to this whole rhetoric. And he knows. And then Alpine having to put up a statement to say we, the amount of abusive comments they got on their Twitter and actually said, we do not condone this. And the irony that it was all incited by their driver making radio comments pointed to throw ill feeling towards call his teammate calling him our friend and then we've done this because of our friend i just i just think fernandez let himself down a bit there i have to in my personal opinion i have to admit that irked me as well and possibly another reason why you know maybe that some of that toxicity is caused by having live almost in real time driver comments for us we have to sit and judge it as 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 pundits because it's there it's available but you know that that is part of the reason and that will generate a little bit of toxicity. I'm glad you brought up the whole point of the new rules because I know some people thought that perhaps 
Ocon had pushed Alonso off track, but if you're ahead at the apex, you, you can do that as the inside car. You can move to the outside. Don't get me wrong. It was rude. It was rude amongst teammates. Like, like don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Ocon is an absolute saint in this at all. It was rude, but it was, it was like on the opening lap, he was on a, a tight, acute angle going in and he was going to be running wide. And yeah, I don't think it was an intentional thing by Ocon. Yes, it was rude, but there's clear needle between those two. But yeah, I'm not to get frustrated with the first one was just, it's just general frustration. But the fact that he aims it personally Mm. That somebody turned that frustration into there was it and then misjudged it and then admitted in the stewards' room. The FA said it on the statement that Alonso admitted that he had misjudged it, but he kind of doubled down on throwing Ocon under the bus in the interviews after having seen it, which is which is what I found surprising. Yeah, and, and I think that picks up on if we're gonna make a point about this. Yeah, people say stuff on the radio in the heat of the moment, and then they come back and they're like, Oh, I looked at the video and oopsies, my bad. He could complain about being put out on the curb by Ocon. That's fair enough. I think had he not lost control of the car on the curbs, <laughs> we wouldn't have been talking about that at all because he was initiating the overtake. So, you know, if he decides to k- carry it onto the curbs, that's on him. But what's really interesting to me is that in the heat of the race today, th- we didn't see this now, did we, from Ocon when he was ahead? And and you just you just want your heroes to do better than we saw from Alonso this weekend. That's all I'm going to say. I'll just add a short bit that every time Alonso is leaving a team, something starts on the radio to mumble after the summer break, and then it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah, and it's we've just seen it before. Same story all over again, and I can't believe why anyone would want to sign this guy. Time for champagne. The Brazilian Grand Prix, uh, it had it all. It had fantastic racing action, and on several occasions, it had drama that has turned us all into gossiping school children. Well, isn't Formula One as much about the drama as it is the racing? It seems to be the, these days. It seems to be much more of a water cooler thing for us to gather around on a Sunday evening and a Monday morning commute and listen to and discuss the things that happened in the sport. In the olden days, as I'm sure everyone on this panel will attest, you watched your F1 race, tried to talk to it about it to other people at work or in the street, and no one cared. So thank you all for participating, uh, commenting, uh, and enjoying Missed Apex podcast. If you would do us a favor and subscribe on YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, and also make sure it's subscribed on a pod catcher uh, like iTunes, uh, like Apple Podcast or Acast or Pocket Cast, on your uh, on your phone uh, and that makes sure you get the episode and you don't have to rely on me doing social media posts we're coming to the end of the 2022 season we will try and give you some some good uh, entertaining off-season content at least once a week and i know we've missed a bunch of topics from this race we're going to see if we can have some kind of pickup stream on tuesday or wednesday as well and we will be here at 8 p.m uk time for the abu dhabi race review on Sunday. So uh, let's get to the awards as something to finish on. We do a good thing award and a bad thing award. Let's start with Christian Pedersen. Uh, it's, oh, hang on, there's a bumper. Look at that. I'm slacking because I'm on holidays, isn't it? So here's the good thing. Christian. I, I, have, I have a few good things. So I'm okay. going to start with the first one. Steal first everyone's one is... good thing awards. Go for it. 
Spanners is in Spain with his entire studio and his family is all right and he's still alive. <laughs> that is one good thing, right? I didn't get murdered yet, but I, I haven't finished the show. And then, of course, the Magnuson thing. Uh, it has to be my winner. But I wrote down three things of the week, uh, the week that is all puns and all with sexual undertones. Okay, okay. So should we just run through them? I know I can oh see your face, Spanners. You hate it already. Well, so, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to be the guy that says, don't be sexually explicit on my family-friendly podcast. It's but, not going to well, be explicit. It's going to be go. within the, the curtains uh, or whatever okay. you say. I've seen it's always, your... the first one is, it's always great to see champagne-soaked where reveal the nipples of the team bosses. Nope. That, that is my first point. The nope, second point that's is not okay, that during one. So, Friday nope. practice one, the humidity yeah. was 69. Okay, not also not good. Yeah. But, no. but, and then yeah. the last bit is Alfa Romeo's car looking great, especially the wheels. You could argue they've done a great rim job. No. Nope. So, and <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. Okay, good. Well, so. <laughs> You ruined the show forever. It's all done. Kids, if it's not me this time, kids, if if you don't get it, if you don't get it, I can I can see the subs leaving. (laughs) If you don't get it, you weren't supposed to. Uh, And if you do get it, that's not my fault that you understand those rude things. I blame your parents, Kyle Power. Who uh, no, it's this good thing. Who good thing awarded for you? Thing had got. So (laughs) so this is the good thing of the uh, of the weekend. I'm amazed. Christian didn't take it and I was didn't want I was fully expecting Christian mm. to take it so I'm going to ruthlessly take it now Kmag on pole for the <laughs> sprint race which wasn't pole but is pole but started at the front of the sprint race amazing their celebrations and seeing their celebrations in the garage when they realized and just how yeah, happy they were great. to see a back marker team which you could almost consider them at some points a, a kind of like a low sort of field team with probably arguably one of the smallest budgets get and seeing what it meant to them and mechanics made it all worth it. I was having a little bit of a, a little bit of a flutter watching that. That was a (laughs) warm, fuzzy feeling territory. That was. Okay. Well, thanks for keeping it clean. Obviously the standards between UK broadcasting and Danish broadcasting are very, very different. Uh, Follow Kyle power at Kyle power F one on Twitter. Uh, Matt two rumpets. You are at Matt PT 55 on Twitter. Who got the good thing award for you? Well, since Kyle ruthlessly stole my best moment of the season, which was my boy K-Mag getting his poll, because I have been a longtime fan of his, it is true. I'm going to go with the very obvious Mercedes getting a one-two before the season is out. I mean, this is kind of huge. We could talk about Ferrari a bit. We sort of didn't. They did a pretty good job, despite all the things they did terribly. But really, I mean, it's spectacular that Mercedes gets a win. They get a one-two. And if we're looking ahead to next season, well, then this is what you would like to call a very positive sign for what we're going to get next year. And I'm already kind of excited about it. Are you implying that Ferrari accidentally did quite well and then giving them praise for that? Uh, I, I, I would say that despite all their best efforts, Ferrari did extremely <laughs> well and were not for a tear-off in the brake duct of Carlos Sainz, which made him convert to a three-stop strategy. We would have had a potential real fight between two teams for the win of the race. 
Hmm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mercedes, and I'm going to go for the two Mercedes drivers. I think first off, obviously, George Russell for claiming that first Grand Prix victory. And, and you know, if you, like I said, it's not, uh, it wasn't a fluky mixed-up conditions win. It wasn't a 2012 win where everyone's winning races and everyone gets their turn. This is a season where only Ferrari and Red Bull have won a race. And then Russell has come in and broken that in the 34th Grand Prix of the season that is no mean feat and you have seen it building you've seen the control of strategy that he has in the car you can see he's really thinking he's made a lot of decisions which didn't go well that didn't go to plan and and, but it seemed like today he was in control he knew that they needed to go long he understood when they needed to adapt and change that strategy and he had the raw pace to be competitive so thing of the weekend one uh, to George Russell, but also I think um, Lewis Hamilton too. Uh, there's, you know, he could have, he could have challenged much better for this race had it not been for a few things out of his control, qualifying, getting ruthlessly wiped out by Max Verstappen, uh, which, <laughs> well, my opinion was that it wasn't his fault. Um, and also, I think we didn't mention it in the bulk of the the show, but he really wanted to stay on those medium tires, and I think the assumption was that he just thought he had the pace or that he was trying to one stop. I think he was trying to stay out for a safety car. And we saw George Russell do that on two or three occasions this season, going, no, no, I've got enough pace, not the pace to keep up with the people undercutting or new cut tires, but I've got the pace to stay in the game. And if a safety car comes out, I'll have a big advantage. And and actually that was that was the correct call in in hindsight because of the the Norris virtual safety car, then safety car. That probably would have been enough to put Lewis Hamilton up to the front. So a lot of positives uh, to come out of this weekend. And of course, the Brazilian Grand Prix itself. But let's stop all that silly positivity uh, and do this award. It's the... Oh no, you missed the Apex. It's the Oh No, You Missed the Apex Award. And I've just realised that like, as my, my son's voice is breaking, that we might have to update uh, that bumper now. Uh, but who missed the Apex for you, Christian? I think it's... Um... Let me phrase it like this. I would say the champion didn't act champion-ish. Okay. I would say, yeah. So Max Verstappen misses the apex apex for you. All right. And Carl Power, who missed the apex for you? Well, that was going to be my one. And I would like just to say, even though I threw Fernando Alonso under the bus, we kind of have to acknowledge that he was probably my driver of the race. Like he did, he had a stunning race today and came through. And where did he finish? P5, P5. No, it's too late. No, it's too late. Spain hates you already, Carl. It's done. It's too late. So that was going to be mine. Um, So now I've got to think of one on the spot. Ferrari juggling buttered covered (laughs) balls again Um, uh, on, on their strategy with the, with the, with the, um, the qualifying, leaving the Claire. And if you hear the radio going on, he's like, guys, what's going on? What are we doing? And the engineer sounds so unsure and so hesitant. It's like they're mm-hmm. completely devoid of any process or, or procedure to follow. It's like, they don't know. They're kind of making it up on the fly. And then when they put the tires on the dry tires, he's like, guys, guys, these are not new softs change mm-hmm. them. And then it was just complete confusion. It was absolute chaos. It was shambolic. So that's my, um, I think Ferrari strategy and general team operation, uh, <laughs> Missed the apex for me. It's almost as if uh, they're not empowered to to make yeah. the call, and they know they're going to have the cover uh, to to make that call. Uh, Matt, yeah. Well, before I give you mine, I just I just want to get in on 
that lap on the enters, the out lap, he's like, what do I do if it's not raining? What do I do if it's not raining? What do I do if it's not raining? <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm going. It's your last chance. And he drives by the pit at entry. And then they say, oh, box, box, box. And he's like, well, <laughs> I think I'm going to finish this lap now. Savage. It, it, it's just like madness. For me, uh, I, Red Bull. And, and I don't mean the team stuff. And I don't, I, I just mean like in general. They got the setup wrong. They got the strategy not right for the sprint race, even though they were aiming at Sunday. And then the culmination for me is Perez winding up on that medium tire when everybody else had softs to be on. I, I think they just kind of, they were off this weekend. For what reason, I don't know. But they were very, very clearly off. Oh, good. No one took mine. That's good. I'm going to give it to Yuki Sonoda for having absolutely no idea where in the queue he was supposed to be and then randomly just stopping in the middle of the in the middle of the package going, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to chill out here. No, no, no. You guys carry on. And then moving out of the way and making things very interesting on the restart. Thank you very much to my panel, Christian Pedersen and Kyle Power F1 and Matt PT55. Uh, check out the links to all their social media in the show notes below. Follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. I I'm the best one, after all. Or on Facebook, you can search for Richard Ready. And if you really do enjoy Mr. Apex podcast and you want to encourage this kind of thing, uh, why not be a patron? Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. We might see you midweek. Uh, there might be a patron-only stream where I might tell people about my adventure. That's a good idea, Matt. Should we do that? Should we tell people about my my adventures, my stressful adventures in Europe? Uh, but we'll definitely be here for the Abu Dhabi race review next Sunday. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. Whispering. Let's see how much trouble I'm in. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.